anyway, really good to be with you. I mean, we let's not take this for granted that we get to come together and be with people of like faith and share the same kind of values. People all over the world would love to be able to do this, and I think we, we just take it for granted. But this is so good that we get to do this, and if you're new with us, really want to welcome you. I don't know if you share our beliefs or our values or anything, but that's okay. We're glad you're here. We want, we want to share with you what we've experienced. That's why we're one church in two locations whose mission is to win down River to Christ. We, we do this for you. We want you to know Christ. So let me, let me do this real quick. Let me have you raise your hands. I'm going to ask you three questions. See which one of them describes you. How did you come to faith in Christ? Okay, first one is, is this. Did you come to Christ because you somehow took the initiative or you stumbled across Christ somehow by reading the Bible or some other way? Just kind of, it just happened. Let me see your hands. Okay, a few of you, a few of you. <clears throat> Second question. And I know a lot of people are going to say, this, this is it for you. How many came to Christ because of a preacher? Okay. <laughs> no, I expected that. I expected that. Because I know number three. How many came to Christ because somebody personally invited you, a family member or a friend? There you go. I knew that. All right. Let's talk about church. How many of you started coming to church because uh, you stumbled across it, because you drove by, you saw the building, you saw a sign? Let me see your hands. All right, a few of you. How many of you came because you uh, somehow uh, saw an ad in print or you saw something online, you saw the website? Let me see hands on that. All right, a few more. How many of you came because somebody personally invited you, friend, family member? There you go. All right, that's what I expected. So here's the question as if that's the most effective way, personally inviting somebody, talking to somebody. What about all the people that we don't personally know? How are we going to reach them? Well, that's what we're talking about as we head back into the book of Acts, which is the history of the early church, the very first Christians, and how the church started on the day of Pentecost. It was kind of this big Jewish festival, and the first Christians were all from a Jewish background. They heard this message that God sent His Son into the world to die for our sins on the cross, to rise from the dead so that we could be forgiven and made right with God. That's the gospel, this good news. And uh, 3,000 people accepted and were baptized. And so the church has been very Jewish from the very beginning, kind of regional, locked into the Holy Land area, very exclusive and provincial like that. And so God has to do some things to kick them in the pants and get them outside because Jesus said, go into all the world, share the good news with everybody, but they still had done it yet. So this is the, the, the time here in Acts 10 and 11 where, and if you got your Bible, by the way, you can flip along uh, with, uh, with us. We're going to be in verse 19 today or go on your Bible app, go online. If you don't have a New Testament, we'll give you one out in the lobby for free. Go to the VIP guest area or Info Central. But <clears throat> this is the point where it moves from being this kind of exclusively Jewish uh, Holy Land thing to becoming a global missionary kind of movement. So it says there in verse 19, Acts chapter 11, Now those who had been scattered by the persecution that broke out when Stephen was killed, they traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, spreading the word only among Jews. Some of them, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, went to Antioch and began to speak to Greeks, also, non-Jewish people, Gentiles, telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. And the Lord's hand was with them. And here it is. A great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. So finally, it's breaking out and becoming uh, uh, something that 
is for all kinds of people. So real quick, I'm going to give you a little geography lesson here because I think it's super helpful to understand the Bible. This story is not just some, you know, uh, fictional mythological tale. This is a, a real place and time. And so I'm going to put on the, the screen a map of that world, but it's a map from today. It's just off Google Maps. This is the Mediterranean world. And it was a very important area back then, and still is today, for commerce, for travel. I mean, millions of tourists travel, and I'm very jealous if you've ever been on a cruise around the Mediterranean and visited some of these awesome cities. But let's zoom in on it a little bit so you can see what we're talking about here. So on the right side of the screen, you see the Holy Land there. The bottom right, you see Jerusalem, Israel. Um, that's where the church started, and that's kind of where it stayed, in that little general area there. But uh, north of, of it, you see Syria and Lebanon. You keep going a little bit further north, and you see the modern-day uh, country of Turkey. Back then, it would have been Asia Minor. You head west, and you see Greece. And then a little bit further west, you see the tip of the boot there of, of Italy. Then you go down south to northern Africa. You see Benghazi there. Yeah, that, that would be modern-day Libya. And then back east again toward the Holy Land, you see Alexandria and Cairo. That would be Egypt. So <clears throat> that whole area is very connected back then, not only because of sea travel, which made it possible to... Uh, and by, by the way, we're talking about um, men from, from Cyrene. Cyrene would have been where Libya is, northern Africa. And you see the island of Cyprus over there close to the Holy Land. And uh, you go up into Turkey on the coast there, you see Adana and Mersin. Back then that would have been the area called Tarsus, which is where Saul, or the Apostle Paul, was from, and it's where it's actually, he's living right now. If you go a little bit further southeast to the border of Syria and Turkey, that's where you would have found the city of Antioch, which we're talking about in this passage, Antioch. Uh, some people from Cy Cyrene and Cyprus traveled to Antioch. Why? Because it's a huge city. Back then, it's like a half a million people. It would have been the third largest city in the Roman Empire. It would be like what one historian calls like New York City would be to us today. Very important, influential. So uh, they head to Antioch and all this area connected by the sea, which made it possible to get the gospel out to a lot of different areas. But not only that, but the Roman Empire had come in, taken over all this area and connected it with roads. Now the Romans were pretty oppressive and brutal and could be downright wicked. But what God did is bring good out of all that, and it made it possible to connect all that area, all these important cities, with roads like international highways. And I mean, well-built roads. I mean, they would be comparable to the roads we have today. Well, maybe, maybe better than Michigan roads because ours keep breaking down, and some of those Roman roads are still here. Uh, but that's how God, I think, did this providentially to get the gospel out to all over this part of the world. So... Uh, it's spreading and people are responding to it. So we pick back up in verse 22. And it says, news of this, how it's going to Antioch now, uh, reached the church down in Jerusalem. And they sent Barnabas to Antioch. You might remember Barnabas is this guy who's just, he's, his nickname is Son of Encouragement. That's what Because he's the guy who took Saul, this persecutor of the church. And he said, he's a real deal, guys. You can, you can, we can take him into the church. Nobody would take in Saul, but... Barnabas convinced them, and uh, so when he arrived, Barnabas, and he sees what the grace of God has done, he's glad, 
And he encouraged them all to remain too, true to the Lord with all their hearts. And boy, that's what we still need today, don't we? We need people to re encourage us to remain true to the Lord. Because you go out in the world this week and it, it's going to be nonstop. You know, trying to, to mess up your faith and pull you away and drag you down. And we need people around us. That's why it's so, don't take this for granted. We need each other just to know we're not alone in this. We're here to help each other remain true to the Lord. So he was, a, and I would love this on my tombstone, he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith. And there it is again, a great number of people were brought to the Lord. Now, understand, Barnabas is from that Jewish background, so he goes to this Gentile area, and they're having church. And I'm guessing it would have been very different culturally from what he experienced, probably different music. The style wasn't the same, but he doesn't complain about that. Probably use maybe a different kind of bread for communion. He doesn't complain about that. Different customs of that region. He doesn't focus on those kinds of minor details and preference things. Not to say that maybe they weren't doing some things wrong because the people there didn't have their own copy of the Bible. It's not like they could go check to see what they were doing and believing was right or wrong. Maybe they were a little naive in their faith. Didn't have their act quite together yet. But Barnabas doesn't focus on those. He's so glad that they're, just, they're following the Lord and he's there to help them understand and grow. He, he's encouraging them to remain true to the Lord, which the word for remain true is also the word cleave or cling. Like, you know, when you get married, it says a man will leave his father and mother and will cleave to his wife. In other words, he loves her, he's devoted to her, he belongs to her, and that's the way we're to be with the Lord, right? We love Him, we belong to Him, we're devoted to Him, we serve Him, we walk with Him. So He's, he's trying to show them what it means to really serve the Lord by, by teaching them, grounding them in the Word, because we need that. Not only have that love and that passion for God, and we're here, we're worshiping, but we need worship and we need witness, right? We need evangelism, outreach, but we need edification. We need to be built up and taught. We need truth as well as uh, you know, testifying our own personal experience. We need to be grounded. And so we go back here to verse 25. and says, Then Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. Why? Because there's, there's so many people coming to Christ. He can't handle them. He's, he's in over his head. So he goes up a little bit. He, he grabs Saul. And when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. And so for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught, there it is again, great numbers of people, and the disciples, look at this, were called Christians first at Antioch. Well, what were they? This is like over a decade into the church, and they're just now being called Christians for the first time. Why? Well, before they were just called what? Believers? Disciples? Remember the way? But now they're being named after Christ. They're wearing the name of Christ, which is what we do today. We don't want to wear anybody else's name. We just want to wear the name of Christ. We're just Christians. We're not the only Christians, but we're Christians only. Nothing more, nothing less, nothing else. And so here he's trying to teach them, which is so important. We need, we need to be taught. We need to be learners. We need to be students so that we can grow in our faith, so we can be grounded. Folks, there's just no shortcut other than spending the time studying. And we need good teachers who love studying and communicating God's Word because the irony is we live in a time when we have more resources and opportunities than ever before to study God's Word, and yet we, we don't. I mean, we do have copies of our, our own personal Bibles, but how many Christians have actually read the Bible? 
I think we have a whole bunch of believers who are content to stay in biblical kindergarten instead of going on to the next level and growing up. And I think some of the blame can be put on churches, right? And it's like churches are not teaching it like they should be or offering enough opportunities or resources. And I'll, I'll own up to that too. It's like I, we could have more opportunities for kids and teens and adults to grow, to learn and study more. And the older I get, the more I want to devote more of my time to teaching, to making sure people are grounded in their faith. But let's be honest too. Let's, let's acknowledge that I'm thinking most of the fault can be put at the feet of Christians who don't want to learn, who don't care about learning, who don't take advantage of the resources and opportunities that are already there. You can't force somebody to learn. you got to want to. And there's no option when it comes to this. We as mature believers, older believers, and just because you're old doesn't mean you're mature. I'm just saying those who have had, been in the faith for a while, we got to take it upon ourselves to reach out and help newer Christians, younger Christians, to grow to teach them, to lead them, and not just like in a classroom setting. I mean, on the job, experiencing it, practical living it out. Because I don't care how long you've been a Christian, you need community. You need connection with others, especially who are a little bit ahead of you. I mean, think about bringing your baby home from the hospital for the first time and putting her in the crib. And she starts crying. And you just go back to bed because oh, she'll figure it out. Isn't that what we do sometimes with newer believers, younger Christians? Like, oh, they'll figure it out. Instead of taking the time to pour into them to help them grow. Now, we, we want to do a better job at helping you get connected, finding you and getting you. But let's face it, it would be a lot easier if you just took the initiative and signed up to get in a group or to start serving on a team to be around other believers. That's why we have them, so we can build each other up. All right, let's finish out the chapter, verse 27. During this time, some prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. You might think, why did they say come down? On the map, it said Jerusalem was down here. Antioch is up, not down. Well, remember, Biblically, they didn't talk about directions. They're talking about topography. Jerusalem's up here. Antioch was down here. So you go down even though you're heading north. Okay. One of them, named Agabus, stood up and through the Spirit predicted that a severe famine would spread over the entire Roman world. I'll stop right there because... This is just one of those little details in the Bible that, again, adds credibility to its truthfulness. Because you go back historically and you find out there were a lot of famines during this time, during the reign of Claudius. In fact, there was a severe one in Jerusalem, just like Scripture says. Uh, the disciples, and so that happened during the reign of Claudius, the disciples, as each one was able, decided to provide help for the brothers and sisters living in Judea. They're going through famine. This they did, sending their gifts to the elders by Barnabas and Saul. Let's talk about that for a second, the idea of, of giving to help others. Because I think some people look at Christianity <clears throat> like it's some kind of a cult sometimes, maybe so, some sort of a communism thing or socialism thing where we all are a share equally. Nobody has more than anybody else. Nobody is wealthier than anybody else. And that's not what Scripture teaches. You, you have full right to own whatever you want and use it however you want. What you give, you do voluntarily. It can't be forced. That's not charity if it's forced. It's not giving if it's forced. As Christians, we're called to voluntarily, cheerfully give. Because we recognize, first, everything we have belongs to God. It's His stuff. It's not really mine. And so we consult God and say, what do you want me to do with your stuff? 
And so we look to the Word. We get guidance from Scripture, and there's plenty of guidance in there about how to handle our finances. But you know what? There's really, if you look in the New Testament, there's really not some expectation that you give a certain percentage or a certain amount of money. I know sometimes we hear that. But you know what the expectation is? Is that we, we become like Jesus. What's that look like? Well, that's a matter of the heart, isn't it? That's just a matter of generosity. That's something between you and God. And if we only use what God has blessed us with to take care of our own needs, I think we're missing what being a, being a Christian is about. That we're to care for others, we're to, to invest in others. If we only spend on ourselves and on our own church, on our own community here downriver, I think we're missing the example of the early church because they were reaching out and giving to help those who weren't even nearby them. In fact, at the beginning, it was the Christians in Jerusalem, the Jewish Christians, who were sending out people and resources to help Gentile churches. This is the first time I think we see Gentile churches now returning the favor and giving back to the Jewish Christians in Jerusalem. Why? Because I'm thinking they gave away so much out of Jerusalem that they became poor themselves. And so they, they pour back into them to make sure their needs are taken care of. And I think there's wisdom in that, that we give like the early Christians, that they brought the gifts to Paul and Barnabas, and they took it to the elders, and they distributed it to the ones in genuine need. There's wisdom in that, because what our tendency may be to do is just to hand out cash to whoever asks for it, and that may not really be helping them. Some people are just out to scam you, and some people are really bad at managing their finances, and you're just enabling them to keep doing it that way. But when you bring it to people with some wisdom and discernment, they can actually help those in need and, and guide people who need it. So like our care fund here, it, I think it's wise to bring our gifts to the church. Our care fund people, they have discernment. They can help those in genuine need. Our food pantry, the same way. Some discernment to help, you know, people get through those kinds of times. Um, but it's, the point is, is that we want to make sure it's going to a real need, which is why I got to caution you. I know some people aren't going to like this, but be cautious who you give money to. And I'm not talking about just somebody on the street. I'm talking about TV preachers. I mean, funneling money to these guys living these lavish lifestyles of luxury, they don't need it. Who really needs it? See, the point is that we got to have concern more about just our own local needs and have a more global perspective about who our brothers and sisters are and get serious about carrying the good news, going to all people like Jesus said and making disciples. So I'm, I'm guessing maybe God is stirring something in some of you right now. You're feeling God tug on you like you need to go somewhere to people who are different from you, people who are not near you. I mean, what brought me here? What brought some some boy from the west side of Indianapolis, 300 miles to the south side of Detroit. I, I, gotta, I believe that God sent me here. He wanted me to come here to share the good news of, of Jesus with people. I mean, Mark and Cindy S. It came all the way from North Carolina to do the very same thing. Where might God be sending you? Uh, do you feel that kind of, I need to do something? And you may not even know what it is right now, right? It's just a lot of questions. You may be even scared. That's okay. You don't have anything more than a burden right now to do something. We can help you with that. Maybe God is calling you to go into to ministry, to become a missionary. I don't know. Or maybe just to stay here and work your butt off so hard that you get so well trained in ministry that you may as well be a minister. It, it, it could be any of those things. 
But some of you might be holding back thinking, well, I, I don't know because I haven't, I haven't received the call from God. You know, you're supposed to be called into ministry, right? Only special people get the call where God says, go. <laughs> I didn't hear that. Or you're supposed to get warm shivers up and down your spine. I didn't get that either. I, tell, I was just a teenager and I was invited to speak five minutes to church and I knew after that that was it. I don't know what it's going to take for you to flip the switch or to, to trigger you, that, that thing in you that God's already put there. But he wants you to go somewhere. You know what your call is? It's the Great Commission. It's the one that we've been reading all this time. Mark 16, 15. One more time. Let's read it all together. This is what Jesus says to his disciples. Here we go. Go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. Go. There it was. That's, that was your call right there. You, just, you have a conviction that somebody ought to go. And if you're, if you're considering that, let us know. I'm going to ask you, go ahead and text the word go to this number, 890-5454. Let us know. Because maybe you're a young person and you're, you're starting to feel that. Maybe, maybe I'm supposed to go into ministry or become a missionary. That's going to be my, my career path. Maybe you're already mid-career. You've already had success in your business. But you're wanting more significance. Maybe I'm supposed to go into ministry full-time or part-time because there are people on our staff who have, who have done that. Whatever it is, maybe we can help you with that. Be open to that possibility. That's our big idea is cling to Jesus and go. Encourage believers and share the good news. Doesn't matter where you go. We gotta, I think we need to have a global perspective because missions are tragically under uh, resourced and neglected because I tell you there are over two billion people in the world who are classified as unreached and that doesn't just mean like they're not Christian it means like they don't even have access to the good news you realize uh, part of the reason for that is because of finances simple as that get this uh, this statistic blows my mind in North America for every Christian that makes a hundred dollars Guess how much of that $100 goes to missions to reach unreached people around the world? Out of 100 bucks, how much would you think? A nickel. A nickel. Okay, well, you invest nickels and dimes in evangelism and missions, you get nickel and dime results. It costs to reach the loss. It's as simple as that sometimes. You know, somebody shared the gospel with you. Now it's our turn to pay it forward and do that for other people. That's why God has left you here, to take as many people with you to heaven as you can. Because either you are a mission field or you a, you're a missionary. And so I want, that's what this is all leading up to. I want to challenge you to invest in missions. Go or resource, fund, supply. We're doing this celebration of generosity. Today, we've been doing it all week, actually. Any, everything given online from Monday through today, everything given in our services today, every dollar we're giving away. None of it goes here. We're giving it to these mission organizations that we support to help reach more people around the world. And that's why we're telling you about these missions, so you know where your money is going and why it's important. Again, I'm speaking to our church family now, not to our guests. We don't, we don't expect you to give anything. But we want you to know that we group our 
missions into three categories. First is church planting. We talked about how we help start churches in the Great Lakes region through a mission called New Churches of Christ Evangelism, as well as north of the border through Impact Canada. Last week, we talked about our second area, which is compassion outreach, meeting the physical and material needs of people with the hope of directing them to Jesus through our mission IDES, International Disaster Emergency Service around the world, and Go Impact 360, which is here downriver, Detroit, and Romania. And then today, number three, is global evangelism. All the other ways of sending out ministers and missionaries around the world. So let me just tell you quick about two, two more of our missions. First is Brad and Tammy Harvey. Brad is a language specialist who has spent nearly three decades now in Africa. And his purpose is putting the Bible into languages that don't have the Bible in their own language. And Brad's main area of work has been in Tanzania, working through a mission called Heart for Central Africa. We have been supporting them from day one as our very first foreign mission. You say, why is that? Because Brad is the very first person I led to Christ as a teenager. So you just never know. That person you talk to about Jesus could change the world. Brad was just a kid that I hung out with in elementary school and junior high, having fun, laughing in class. And then now he's in Africa. <laughs> and people who didn't have the Bible before now will have the Bible. Because when you put it into somebody's mother tongue, they're better able to understand it and appreciate it. So he's already finished work on the New Testament. That's going to be going to the publisher soon. He's recently been working on the book of Genesis. And another cool thing is the Jesus film. Have you ever heard of the Jesus film? It's the most watched movie in the whole world because it's the life of Jesus from the book of Luke. It's been dubbed into all kinds of different languages, shown on all kinds of mission fields. But now they finally have it in this language. And I can't tell you the name of the people group that Brad works among because it's very dangerous. Uh, because it's 95% Muslim community, and you put your life at risk if you become a Christian in, in that. Uh, but it's, it's a million people, um, one of the biggest groups, and Brad, his translation team put the Jesus film into this language, and Brad made sure that uh, it, it was uh, uh, dubbed well, make, you know, counting the syllables and all that. So I want you to watch just a few seconds of the Jesus film. Oh, I'm there. Wavija Kanisagula no Agaria or Kumbulu, Senga no Gire. Kanitumani petent the Kesa Hao and Amatwe, Navimbugu, Adahe Kulola Kabiri, Nakuadohola, our banning his way. Nakupeta Kamba, Kipigiti Kivika Chamdewa, Kuakombola, and Huzake. Koronga Goya. I don't know what he said, but we had a part in that, you know? So pray for. The small number of Christians and churches in that society, because it's, it's very dangerous when you, if you just want to attend a worship service or a Bible study, your own family may persecute you and put you to death. So uh, keep them in prayer. Another mission that we support is called His House, and it's a Michigan Christian Campus Ministries. It's, the, it's on 12 different Michigan universities, MSU, U of M, all of them, a bunch of them across the state, and their whole goal is to win students for Christ, baptize them, build them up in their faith through worship services, small groups, retreats, and then send them back out into the world wherever they came from, uh, on mission trips or just into their own communities. And we have a part in that too. Many, many have been baptized since 1969. Over 4,000 students have given their lives to Christ through that ministry. And uh, 
So they, they have weekly services and group studies. Another thing that we, we do is for our own students here who want to go into ministry, who want to go off to Bible college or seminary, we do some Christian college scholarships. And I think we have a couple students right now taking advantage of that. And then we have some special appeals. So if something new or urgent comes up, we got a little bit of money in reserve so we can help out with that. So you and I now have the opportunity to do so much good in the lives of others by giving. And again, if you're new, please don't feel uh, obligation to give. But if you're, if you're going to give, know that everything today uh, goes to these mission organizations. We're going to receive that in the buckets in a few moments. you got some time to prepare for that. Maybe you already gave online this week. If so, I want to thank you greatly. But be open. Maybe God is tugging at you again. Like, okay, I want, I want to do more. I want to give more than I usually do. And that's what Penny and I are doing. We give monthly. Maybe you do that too. So we had to break down our gift into you know the weeks. And then we doubled what we were given for this week. And you could maybe go, go with that or triple it even. So I, I want to end with one of my all-time favorite quotes. It comes from a wealthy Englishman in the 1880s with a great name. His name was C.T. Studd. Wouldn't you like to be called C.T. Studd? <laughs> but this guy... He gave away his entire estate, gave away his entire inherited fortune, and went to the mission field in China. And his motivation was this, this quote, only one life will soon be passed, only what's done for Christ will last. And that's true. That's true. So let's pray. Pray about that. Father, we, we, we just want to pray for the spread of your gospel to all different people, that you would raise up more workers for the harvest field. God, even raise them up out of this church. Send us out, Lord. I want to thank you for the, these people, for their faith, their love, their generosity. God, that we get a, we're thankful we get to partner with you in the greatest work in the world, the greatest cause uh, of all. And, and Lord, we know that whatever we bring to you, you're going to multiply it and, and make it so much better that we, we're doing this together. Thank you for, for the work of these missions. God, we especially pray you would bless the Harveys in Africa. God, for the churches and the Christians there, make them bold, keep them safe. For all the students in Michigan that are being exposed to Jesus through these, this campus ministry. For our own students who are going off to study for ministry. God, use them greatly. And Lord, you've just blessed us to be a blessing to others. And so we just want to acknowledge it's all your stuff. And we want to take as many people to heaven with us as we can. So we ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Maybe that's you today. Uh, maybe God brought you here so that you could hear how much he loves you and he wants you to be with him forever. And I think when we all stand before him one day, he's going to ask some questions. <laughs> and the first one is going to be, what did you do with my son? And you know the answer to that. I, I received him as my Savior. I trusted him. He's my Lord. It's the only right answer. But if you've never done that before, if you've never made your, your own decision to follow Christ, I hope you'll do it today. I'm going to have some friends available down front. You just step out from where you are during this next song. We're all going to be standing. You just walk out, talk to them, ask questions. Maybe you're ready to be baptized into Christ today. Maybe you need prayer. In fact, you can come back Tuesday. The, the elders invite you to come at 5.30. We'll be here to pray for you. I think when we stand before God, though, there's going to be another question, and, and that would be, what did you do with what I gave you? Were you good stewards with what I entrusted to you? 
And I think there'll probably be a third question. Did you bring anybody? Is anybody going to be in heaven because of you?